The Blur Havoc podcast may contain content some may find offensive, vulgar, or inappropriate for work or school. All views expressed on this show solely belong to the individual that expressed them. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the Blur Havoc Podcast. I'm your host, the roguishly handsome, long-haired Alistair Haken. And we're on Season 2, Episode 3. Um, first off, we got our drink of choice for the evening. Um, uh, I made a little something. I'm on the keto diet, in case you didn't know. I made sugar-free hot coffee with some baking cocoa, some coffee creamer, stevia, and a little bit of um, whipping cream. So I haven't tried it yet, so let's try it together and see if it tastes good, because this is a lot actually, but let's see. Not bad. Not hot chocolate, but not bad. Anyway, I debated on thinking, on, on making this the first episode, rearranging things and making this the first episode instead of the third, but... We're just going to leave it the way it is. My dog has made an appearance in this episode. I don't know if you can hear her. But um, I was driving around one day and I thought about it. And it, it's kind of this is going to be kind of more of a serious discussion. And it, I thought about it. And we really underestimate how important culture is. So let's start with a little small. Um, be warned, this is a little political, a little bit. But I'm not going to say there's a right or wrong, you know, policy. That's not what this discussion is about. We can save that for another day. But let's start with something small. The first Spider-Man movie, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, right? Uh, we've all seen it at this point. Um, so I don't really have to give you the blow-by-blow. Blow, but notice that in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, Peter Parker has organic web shooters, right? They're in his um, palm, and he doesn't have to refill them. He doesn't have to do anything. It's just a part of his anatomy, which is gross and horrifying when you think about it, but we'll let it be. Um, so what's interesting is that that's not how the character was originally conceived. When Stan Lee and Steve Ditko created Spider-Man, he had mechanical web shooters he had to build. The only powers he had innately were the ability to climb on walls, and he had super strength and spidey sense. But he didn't have web shooters, he had to make those. So, which would have been really interesting if he didn't have those. What kind of super he would have been, would he have been at that point, you know? But, um, but I bring that up to, to um, point out how my generation grew up on the Sam Raimi movies, right? For Spider-Man. That was the cultural depiction of that character so when my generation started seeing iterations of spider-man where he didn't have organic web shooters he had mechanical ones like that were true to form to the comics um we were like uh, what the hell is this what you're telling us spider-man doesn't spider-man has organic web shooters what is this he doesn't this is just 
this is that was just one thing in one comic book in one canon in one continuity you're telling us that that was the one odd one bullshit is basically what we responded with but that goes to show you how culture can be shaped by depictions of in in film right another inch another interesting one is in um i believe it's uh lethal weapon is it lethal weapon let me, let me double check oh man them 80 movies man sometimes they kind of blur together for me let me see nope nope it wasn't lethal weapon die hard it was die hard yeah I knew it had Bruce Willis in it, but I couldn't think of what movie it was. But, um, yeah, so in Die Hard, um, Die Hard 2 specifically is what I'm, now, now I'm, okay, now it's coming together. Um, Die Hard 2 was the movie where, uh, they, they claimed that the Glock was a porcelain pistol that could be, that could not be picked up in airport metal detectors. As a proud owner of a Glock myself, I can tell you that A, they are not made of porcelain, and B, if you take that gun into an airport through a metal detector, you're probably gonna die, okay? <laughs> not to mention they called it a Glock 7. But the thing is, is that what that did is that that shaped a lot of people's perception of what a Glock was. A lot of people thought that Glocks were plastic or porcelain pistols that, you know, were not detectable through metal detectors which is not true but that's how the culture was shaped because of film and and then it says that it costs more than you make in a month i i can tell you right now i don't make six figures but i can afford a glock okay i have a gen 3 glock 19 mariner edition which is a special edition that comes with special like 17 round mags with like the, you know the awesome looking base plates anyway um it, it just shows you how it, they just got everything wrong, but it it painted Glocks in a picture that everyone universally, like, you know, accepted, even though it wasn't true. Um, so what's it? What's another one? Um, uh, a lot of people don't know that, um, in the comic books, the Avengers all the avengers have secret identities you know they have normal like just like superman and batman have you know bruce wayne and um not henry cavill what is his name clark Kent. <laughs> um they have their you know their alter egos in the marvel universe they had alter egos as well you know it wasn't com it wasn't common knowledge that iron man was tony stark or even thor was thor like what was his name in the comic books it was like oh man what was his name uh donald blake um yeah like in the marvel comics the alter ego was a real thing just like how peter parker's alter ego is in all the movies at this point um but in the mcu they kind of got rid of that and now a lot of people are surprised that the marvel comics have alter egos for these characters so so where am i going with this right i'm trying to point out how entertainment and media in general 
is actually surprisingly important in our society because it, it molds public perception of topics, items, characters, lore, like even things in the real world. Like um, the way that uh, trigger discipline is depicted in movies is a really big hot topic issue for me. And I can't stand when movies have characters just wildly waving guns around with their fingers on the trigger, even though they're not trying to shoot anybody. Um, and that, that bleeds into the real world where you got people at gun ranges waving pistols around with their finger on the trigger. There was a video I saw on Instagram of this guy who was like, you know, taking pictures with the with the Glock, which is like, you know, we do that, you know, that's normal. But then he aims the Glock at his friend's head and takes a selfie with him. And it's like the range officer almost the, the security range officer guy almost killed him. OK, um, but um, but that that kind of stuff happens when you have movies that really delegitimize and don't talk about the gun safety that goes behind these incredibly deadly weapons. Yeah, they don't taste like hot chocolate, but whatever. So let's let's take this a step further. What happens when films and politics mix up? What happens when they come together? Right? You ever notice how in horror movies they okay, so let me let me do a little bit of statistics here. In America, there are more guns than people in this country. I think the most recent number was 410 million guns to 325 million people in America. Not even in horror movies. Let's, let's just go in general. A lot of films and even video games tend to just pretend that we don't have a culture in America that is 100% like formed by the fact that we can own guns you know like that's the our how do i put it america's foundation was you know founded on the fact that you know the british tried to take the founding fathers guns so that's a, a core part of america's history and culture so with that being said there are more guns than people in this excuse me in this country of america right why is it that in every horror movie, the protagonist just, just, there are no guns to be found anywhere. Only the police have guns in this world. And um, another one that really bothered me was that in The Last of Us, the, the Last of Us 1 and 2. Why is it that at the, first of all, at the end of the game, you finally get a modern rifle instead of some stupid bolt action or a mini 14 or whatever you got beforehand. At the end of The Last of Us 1, you finally get a modern rifle but it's fully automatic which i'm wondering how the fireflies got that gun because they definitely like are only for the military and that's it <laughs> so i don't know how a splinter like radical organization like the fireflies got their hands on fully automatic weapons but that's besides the point um you don't understand here in america Modern sporting rifles, as they're called, such as the uh, AR-15, are a dime a dozen. 
I literally was sitting on my balcony one day and some guy in my apartment complex, like he went to his car with an AR in his head. I was like, hey, what's up, man? But anyway, um, yeah, like those ghost guns are a dime a dozen in America. So the fact that they're in like, I don't know where they're at, but the fact that they're in America and they have none available until the end of the game is just like, no, no. On the low end, there are 15 million AR-style rifles in this country. Why are they? Why? Why are they not available in these post-apocalyptic, like Last of Us games? If anything, everyone should be running around with one. That's kind of the whole draw to owning a firearm, so that when shit goes south, you have a perfectly adept means. Of defending yourself. I mean, I'm looking at mine right now. It's sitting there right up against the wall. I'm about to make a second one. You're telling me that in the world of The Last of Us, just nobody has a gun? And that's the, that's the thing that... And, and this is where I'm going with this. That is That molds the public's perception into believing that guns are not normal. When in America, guns are very, very normal. It's not uh, it's not odd to go into a rural area away from the city and find someone that just has a pistol on their hip. Or they have a shotgun on their back cuz they just got back from hunting. It's not irregular. But these films and movie film films and movies, films and TV shows and video games all paint firearms as these things that are just not normal and if you have one you're some kind of weird toe-sucking freak or something like that right and thus you have people that view firearms as something that you shouldn't need and you you're weird for having one i just said that like 30 seconds ago whatever but it shows you how these films and media and TV shows and stuff, they, they mold perception of, you know, concepts, ideas, politics, and products, right? Like, um, I, I'm, I can't tell you what movie did this, but there's a common conception, a common misconception that Taco Bell will always give you the runs after you eat it, which Taco Bell has only ever given me the runs. I, I, I'm embarrassed to say this, but Taco Bell has only ever given me the runs once since i've had it only one time i don't know what i ate from there that made me do that but i almost died but it happened once and that was it never happened again so let's go let's make this a little bit bigger then now we talked about how guns are perceived differently in the u.s because of media let's talk about something different media was one of the first places that had gay representation because before media made it okay get being gay was like something to be ashamed of that's why we still have the phrase coming out of the closet now being gay is kind of the new normal it, i'm starting to see more gay people in commercials than straight people because i swear to god if i see that if i see that advertisement on youtube of the the black dude clapping while he's making a cake i might i might hurt myself i'm telling you but i mean i'm that's an assumption i don't know he, he's definitely setting off my gaydar and you know i'm sure i have a gaydar because um because uh reasons 
that I won't get into that have to do with sexuality. Don't mind my phone, but whatever. But before, like, I'd say, like, 2000, you didn't really see gay people in media. And if they were gay, they were the part of a punchline, right? Being gay, like, to this day, you know, you'll hear people say something like, like, when they see something that's wrong, they'll be like, oh, that's gay, right? Or something that's messed up or jacked up or something. They'll say, oh, that's gay. I said it in high school. I, I still, every once in a while, I slip up and say it, but I, I see no offense in it because, you know, reasons that we're not going to talk about right now. Um, but through through representation in media through and showing how gay people, yeah, it's going to sound weird saying it like this, but showing how gay people are people too, you know, people have really eased up on gay people. And it's no longer okay to have gay people be the the butt of a lot of a lot of jokes now and lesbian i guess if you you know if it's really that big of a deal that i have to make that distinction but yeah and that's thanks to media so it stands the reason that you ever notice how um gotta get real for a second you ever notice how media always seems to lean a little politically left i mean that's the elephant in the room bro like you can i mean i'm not gonna say it's a good or a bad thing because like i said that's not what this discussion is about today i'm just pointing out the elephant in the room i'm pointing out the writing on the wall i'm pointing out the naked man in the corner the thing that everyone can see but nobody's acknowledging it all right almost all media these days be it film, video games, TV, books, comic books, music, almost all of it is very left-leaning. And it's shaping our culture. And in, in, in these, this, is, this topic is actually tied into writing in one specific way. People are not writing honestly anymore. They're being very candid and not candid, but they're being very um, authentic. Not authentic. What is the goddamn word I'm thinking of? They're being clear, I guess. They're being obvious with it. They're, they're, they're not even like trying to hide it anymore. Transparent is the word I'm looking for. Jesus Christ. Um, they're being transparent with it now. That this is, media is nothing more now than to push a specific agenda. And that's not writing honestly. That's not honest at all. Writing honestly is about making sure that you're not pushing your ideas on somebody for the sake in in, in in sacrificing the story. That's what writing honestly is about. Like say okay. Let's say you're pro-immigration okay let's go with that but you're also writing a story about you know uh a story about an alien invasion i guess i don't know right or or it's i don't know alien invasion we'll go with that 
you cannot you cannot write dishonestly in such a way that you have an alien invasion you write it so that the aliens are typical alien invaders and they are violent right but then also want to shove in a pro-immigration pro-open borders message and say the aliens just need a place to stay that's why they're violent and it's like you can't do that that's regressive i don't think you understand what you're saying here when you say that all aliens should be given freedom to enter your borders even if they're violent do you under do you do you understand what you're doing there when you say something like that that's what happens when you're being dishonest. You get you give people mixed messages, and it's really messy. And that's why culture is um, so important. Storytelling is so important. Because you're shaping the hearts and minds of the future with this stuff. And the people in Hollywood right now are so aware of it. They are very aware of it. They've been molding our culture for decades. I'm not saying I'm not like I'm saying I'm, I'm not saying I di- agree or disagree with whatever they're pushing right now. That's not what this discussion is about. I, I have to keep saying that because I get I, I get people that, you know, like to like to straw man me and stuff. So I have to put that out there. Um, but that's why storytelling is so important because you're shaping the future. You see how we started with Spider-Man and his organic web shooters, and now we're talking about politics. Because um, one of my main my main um, cultural and political kind of like inspirations is Eric July. You know Eric July, Young Ripper, where he says that politics is downstream of culture. Whatever's happening in the culture is going to move downstream to politics. Whatever people are talking about now, whatever's in whatever's popular in the movies now, that's going to turn into legislation at some point. Look at weed. Weed used to be considered this like super evil demon drug, you know, the devil's lettuce. Ooh. Right? Now, you know, even people on the right are saying hey let's legalize weed because it's been culturally accepted that smoking weed is okay through depictions in movies like stuff like harold and kumar pineapple express stuff like that any seth rogan comedy basically stuff like that has has taken away the veil of weed and shown that weed is not this demon drug that's going to cause you to rip babies heads off or anything crazy like that right I'm not saying I've done weed or anything like that, but you know, semantics. But that's the whole point, is that with politics and culture, they're intertwined. Whatever's going on in storytelling, it moves downstream to politics at some point. And that's why it genuinely pisses me off when you have writers that do not give a shit about the craft of storytelling. They see this exactly for what I have described. Is that this is a vehicle to push their political and ideological ideas onto people. Instead of telling a decent story. And that angers me. 
Because even when I was a little kid, I always saw the value of storytelling. One of the first times I went to the movies was to see The Lion King. I cried when Mufasa died, right? I love going to the movie theaters. Is there something special about that storytelling experience of sitting down in a dark room and just being immersed in this story in front of you? And every single goddamn time that someone basically looks at the screen and tells me, screw the Republicans or screw Donald Trump or, or you know, take away the guns or something stupid like that. Every time they do that, it takes me out of the experience. Regardless of if I agree with it or not, you're taking me out of the experience. And that is a sin when it comes to storytelling. Every time you remind the watcher or the reader or the audience that they are watching a movie and they're not deeply planted into the movie and immersed, every time you break their immersion, you have created a you have committed a cardinal sin when it comes to storytelling. And that's why it's so important for you to write honestly. All you future storytellers out there, heed my words because that's the that's one of the biggest reasons why Hollywood is failing. This episode is recorded on a very unfortunate day. We'll just say January in 2022. Excuse me. It Spider-Man No Way Home has been released and within a week in some change it reached a billion dollars without even touching China. All right? But guess what came before that? We had Marvel's Black Widow, Marvel's Shang-Chi, Marvel's Eternals, and I think there was one more. There was one more Marvel movie, right? Was there? We'll just go with those three for right now anyway. Spider-Man No Way Home made more money than those three movies combined. You know why? Because people could 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 smell the bullshit that was on Black Widow, Shang Chi, and The Eternals. Those movies reeked of bullshit. On top of the fact that they looked like very boring and unengaging movies, and you can you can tell this from the trailers. You you, you got the trailer for Black Widow, Eternals, and Shang Chi, but No Way Home had a few shots in it that implied that there would be more depth to this movie than the other three. Such as the the shot of Peter in the rain, you know, scarred and just looking shell shocked. I'm not going to spoil anything for right now, um, but that shot implies that there's some actual love and care going on in this movie, where they're actually, you know, writing a story honestly. They're writing the story of this Peter Parker, who who's going through it, man, and that's relatable. That's honest. People go through shit. But you got stuff like Black Widow, where I've seen, I've basically seen a Cliff Notes version of the movie. I've gotten a beat for beat. I've watched basically almost all the movie just through Mahler's four-hour video. And one of the biggest things I realized is that Black Widow herself, Natasha Romanoff herself, is just this infallible thing that cannot be defeated. She can't be defeated. Even when Drakov is beating the piss out of her in the third act, she's just infallible. And she gets knocked around. Once she learns the secret to access his plan so she can see it and everything, um, she gets back up and she's perfectly fine. Yeah, she gets beat up by the other widows, but then her sister comes in and saves the day and she just stands up like, oh, I'm just going to go save the day now. That's so lame. There's nothing, there's nothing engaging about that. 
Nowhere in this movie were we going, especially since it's a prequel, but nowhere in that movie were we sitting there like, damn, dude, like, Natasha Romanoff is just getting her ass beat. And it's like, dude, is she going to make it? Like, there were moments in No Way Home where I was like, damn, how is this going to end? Is everyone get out? Is everyone going to get out of this alive? Like, what's happening? I'm scared. I'm worried for these characters for the first time in a very long time. That's what happens when you treat your characters like, you know, characters you actually give a shit about instead of vehicles to push your ideas on people. Because if you look at Black Widow, this episode might be a little bit longer than usual. Um, when you look at Black Widow, um, there's obvious parallels going on here. Drakoff is like this discount Harvey Weinstein looking bastard. Like, duh. You know, and then uh, all the stuff he says in the third act is just like, oh, man. He's like, for every 20 girls I'll kill, every 20 girls I've trained, I'll kill 19 of them. Because the world has too many girls or something stupid like that. Because, you know, he's he's a Harvey Weinstein XP and he has to, like, hate women and stuff. And it's just like, oh, God. (laughs) Jesus. It's clear that they're trying to say something here. Even though I find it ironic that they're trying to say this because they're in the industry that enabled Harvey Weinstein to do that. And they're still doing really disgusting shit like that to this day. I find it a little ironic, but we're going to pass on that discussion for right now. But Eternals was focusing on the fact that they had a they had a gay superhero and a deaf superhero. Who the hell cares? Who cares? Who I didn't watch Eternals. I, th- I thought I was going to shit watch it where I was going to watch it and make fun of it and just to see why even the critics didn't like this movie. But I just couldn't bring myself to do it. When I watched the trailers, it was like watching an even more bland version of a Zack Snyder Superman movie. And the, the funny thing is that I think the director said that she was inspired by Zack Snyder's in DCEU. Why would you do that to yourself? Why, why would you do that? Like, what are you doing? Like, why would you, why would, that? that's like, that's like getting in a car that doesn't have brakes. Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> I, I don't know what she was thinking, but it looked so boring. It looked like, it looked like they would, they had taken all their energy and focused on marketing this deaf superhero who, I'm not even gonna lie, she's a cutie, but this deaf superhero and then this, um, this gay superhero. Who, who the hell cares? Like y'all, the, y'all made gay people, you know, normal. Remember at the earlier in the in the conversation, I was talking about how media made gay people like you know a normal part of society through representation. Um, yeah. Now being gay is not special. It's not special anymore. Why you keep bringing it up? Like we've normalized gay people, we've normalized minorities, we've normalized, we've normalized deaf people, we've normalized all these people. So why are you marketing this movie on stuff that's normal? No wonder no one saw this movie, but everyone went to see Spider-Man because one, everyone freaking loves Spider-Man. Okay, he can even he can have a horrible movie like The Amazing Spider-Man Two, and people will still go see it. We didn't get an Amazing Spider-Man Three because. Uh, Andrew did something that the Sony president in Japan didn't like, and that's why we didn't get a Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 3. But 
besides the point everyone loves spider-man on top of the fact that it looked like a movie that yeah it had nostalgia bait where it had green goblin and doc ock and electro and yada 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 right but at the same time it looked like it was a movie made by people who actually care about the spider-man mythos care about the character of peter parker care about how it connects to the mcu and all this yada yada it looks like the people that made it cared about it that's the difference between No Way Home and the three other shit fests that came before it. That's the difference. I can't speak on Shang-Chi because it, it looked like Captain Marvel, but with an Asian lead instead of a female plank. So, I didn't watch it. It looked really boring. Like, it even had, like, the, the, the train fight, just like in Captain Marvel. It was like, it was like the same thing, dude, like. No, I wasn't going to waste my money. I, I didn't waste my money on Captain Marvel. I saw it before Endgame, but I didn't waste my money on it. Don't ask me how. And I wasn't going to watch Shang-Chi because it just, it didn't pique my interest. And it didn't pique a lot of people's interest. I mean, not to get super political again or, you know, super contemporary, but... A lot of people said, you know, oh, we didn't, people didn't see Black Widow or, or Shang-Chi or Eternals because of the Bovid-17 pandemic, if you catch what I'm saying here. But then Spider-Man No Way Home comes around in the middle of the pandemic and completely knocks everyone's socks off with a billion dollars in one week. Where's your, your pandemic now? It was never about the pandemic. It's just that those three movies looked like they sucked. And that's why nobody saw them. That's why. The first three movies were selling off of identity politics. They were not. They weren't selling off of the idea that. Hey you're going to get a nice and honest story. They're selling off the idea of. This movie has a female lead. This movie has an Asian lead. And this movie has a bunch of intersectionality i guess you got a female lead you got a black lead you got a you got a gay lead you got a deaf lead you got an indian lead they had like a whole i saw a clip of it it was like a whole dance sequence yeah i get it you know you're trying to highlight this culture but in a superhero movie i, I didn't want to see that people get on michael bay for that shit where he, he, people got on Michael Bay for this shit, especially when he was making the Transformers movies, about taking so much time out of the movie to have a long-ass joke. The biggest offender being in Age of Extinction with um, uh, the scientist guy, I forget his name, played by Stanley Tucci, tu, tu, Stanley Tucci. He was played by Stanley Tucci, and it was like the whole thing where he walks through the door and he wanted a specific sound, and he didn't like the sound, and it's like a, a whole two-minute long scene that feels like it goes on forever. People got on Michael Bay for that shit, for that self-indulgent bullshit. But when Marvel does it with a whole sequence of Indian people dancing, and I'm sure that it's, you know, it's very culturally relevant to the character, but in terms of like a movie having a whole sequence like that, that's unacceptable. It's self-indulgent. Is what it is. If you want to highlight something like that, how about you make an entire movie full of Indian superheroes, and that is a part of like a celebration for one of the characters, and you know it's a, you know it's a whole thing. But in a, a whole superhero movie where you got like what, like eight characters, and you're trying to have like a whole dance sequence in the middle of this, 
There's a word for that. It's called a it's called a circle jerk. It's a bunch of up uppity fart sniffing assholes just going to town on each other because they're so disconnected from the regular working man. They don't understand what it's like to be human anymore. So they put weird shit in their movies. Weird self-indulgent bullshit is what they put in their movies. Sorry if I got a little heated there. It's just that, like I said, this is a topic that I I really, you know, feel passionate about. It's a, it's a super serious topic for me. Like I said, this, this shit is affecting our culture. You can change the entire world just by making a little stupid movie about superheroes. Do you, you feel me? You understand what I'm saying here? That's it, man. That's all she wrote. So, yeah. Next time you go watch a superhero movie or some stupid shit like that, pay attention. See what this movie's trying to tell you. And see how it can affect our culture and give it about four to five years. So, yeah. That's all I got for today. I'm going to try to finish this bootleg hot chocolate. Um, And uh, I guess not go anywhere because we're snowed in here, baby. So, um, as I have said, I have been your host, Alistair Haken. Uh, thank you all for listening, and I will see you next time. Oh, God, that is, that's just weird. See ya. Listening to the Blur Havoc podcast. Purchase the Blur Havoc book series on Amazon Kindle or paperback today. 